What is your perception of military leadership? Military leadership doesn't come from rank. It also isn't about barking orders or command and control type of authority. Stephen Morris joins us today on the podcast to share his experience in Army Ranger School, arguably the greatest U.S. military school related to leadership that we have. He's also going to share his time in training armies around the world on the subject of leadership. And I'm certain that he will clear up some of your misconceptions about military leadership on the podcast today. Welcome to the Rookie Leaders Podcast, the podcast of veteran leaders offering leadership lessons to newbies. Whether you're brand new to leadership or expanding your leadership responsibilities, this podcast will provide the knowledge and experience you need to lead courageously and effectively. This podcast is a production of the Credible Leadership Group, a coaching and consulting firm devoted to your leadership development, career advancement, and personal growth. Learn more at CredibleLeaders.com. Now, here's your host, Michael Tanner. Well, hello there, friend. This is the Rookie Leaders Podcast. It's the podcast offering leadership lessons to newbies. My name is Michael Tanner, and with 30 years of leadership experience, it's my mission to help you become the leader that everyone loves and wants to follow. And that's so that you can positively impact business results and the lives of those you lead. Hey, today on the podcast, I'm thrilled to share with you Stephen Morris, who I mentioned earlier. He's going to join us today to share his experience in Army Ranger School. But then after that, he gets assigned the duty of teaching leadership to other armies around the world. And he's going to share that experience with you here on the podcast as well. And now, having retired from the Army, Stephen is teaching leadership through his company, renowned leadership and and I encourage you to check him out you can find more out about Stephen at renownedleadership.com and listen you have to do this you have to check out Stephen's new podcast he started the podcast with his dad just soon after we recorded this conversation that I'm going to share with you here uh, and I remember talking with Stephen and he told me about how he considers his dad to be a great leader And I mean, think about this. You've got an army ranger who has taught leadership around the world to other armies and is now teaching it to the corporate world in his own business. He considers his dad to be a great leader. And now you have the opportunity to learn from both of them together on their podcast. So I encourage you to check that out. I will leave a link to their podcast in the show notes for this particular episode. Uh, But listen, before I get into my conversation with Stephen, let me quickly make you aware of our leadership calculator. You're listening to this podcast because you want to improve your leadership. And surely you recognize that to improve your leadership, you first have to measure your leadership. And our free calculator provides you an objective leadership score. It also gives you a detailed report on exactly how you can improve your leadership based on your results. You can head over to theleadershipcalculator.com to utilize our calculator. But for now, let's get over to my conversation with Stephen. Stephen Morris, welcome to the Rookie Leaders Podcast. It's so good to have you. 
Thanks, man. It's great to be here. I'm so excited. Yeah, I'm excited to have you on the podcast just because I know a little bit about your leadership background. And probably for the sake of the listeners, we should tell them a little bit about how we got connected. We actually have a good mutual friend, uh, Stephen Faust. I think Stephen is actually uh, serving as a coach for you right now in starting your leadership business. Uh, and Stephen and I know each other very well, and I think he connected the two of us, and I'm thrilled that he did so. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, he's been an immense help, and uh, yeah, like you said, he's a good dude. Yeah. And he's uh, he's coaching me well, man. I, I do. I have to say that I'm starting to feel a little bit outnumbered. Uh, I know that you have an Army background, and Stephen has an Army background, too. So <laughs> I feel a little ganged up on being the only Marine in the crowd here. And you two, uh, I think you're trying to outnumber me here. It feels a little bit, huh? I mean, I mean historically, you should feel outnumbered. Marines <laughs> have always been smaller than the Army. This is true. Yes. You, yeah. Bring, bring out the facts to support your case. I love that. I love that. <laughs> that is so true. Well, well, Stephen, listen, let's do this. Uh, uh, I, I know we, uh, we talked about before we hit the record button that we're, we're going to just kind of talk leadership in general and, and, and so forth. And, and you warned me and I said, it was perfectly okay. We may chase a few rabbits here and so forth. And that is certainly fine, <laughs> but I think it's probably a, appropriate to first kind of set the stage for the listener here as to your background, your leadership experience and, and where and how you learned leadership. So how about we start there? Yeah. So my leadership experience pretty much started when I turned 18. Uh, on August 17th, 2001, I joined or I enlisted in the United States Army. And um, it's a long story, so I'll try to speak quickly and get through it. Um, but you know, a few weeks later, September 11th happened and then I was in basic training and then I was in Afghanistan, man. Um, came back, uh, from deployment, uh, made it through the reintegration process that you, we go through after deployment and then, um, ended up finding my way to ranger school. And that's pretty much where everything got uprooted for me. Um, Ranger School is, is nothing but a leadership course. I don't know how much you know about it, but mm -hmm. it, it, all it is is a leadership course. And then I somehow I just ended up on this path of going to every pretty much every single leadership school the military has to offer. Mm -hmm. And um, lo and behold, you know, I, I got hurt in Afghanistan. I got shot. And... Um, after that, I couldn't return to, to combat due to my injuries. And so they stuck me in TRADOC and then they stuck me overseas in Europe teaching leadership skills to our NATO allies, uh, basically how um, the United States does leadership. Um, man, how, how deep should I go into that for the listeners? Because they have no idea how the NCO Corps works, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, we're going we're gonna to dive deep into that for sure, into, into kind of your role as teaching leadership for the military. Um, but before we go there, I, I've got to back up because I've got to hear kind of this boot camp story, if you will, um, of if I, if I understood what you just said, you were actually in boot camp when 9-11 happened. Is that correct? No, I left for basic training um, six days later. Ah, after okay. Wow. I mean, that kind of uh, changed, changed things for you, though, I'm sure. Because I, I remember, 
you know, working with the recruiter for weeks and months leading up to that. And then you go to MEPS and you get your physical exams yeah. and all of that. And then you yeah. head off to boot camp. And so here just days before you're about to probably go to MEPS, I guess, uh, which for the listener, that's military enlistment processing. Um, so um, be- before, yeah, exactly. before you, just before you head off there, then 9-11 happens, right? Uh, yeah, I had actually gone to MEPS um, September 8th, I want to say. Okay, all right. Um, but you, you have to go back through MEPS again, at least in the Army. I, I assume it's the same for the Marines. But you go back through, not the whole MEPS process, but like mm-hmm. the final onboarding stuff. Right. And man, it was crazy. Like armed security everywhere. Like before, you know, we're in Indianapolis, Indiana, man. Like nothing happens yeah. in here except corn. Yeah. So, you know, <laughs> walking into a room and you got the soldiers standing around with M4s, it's like, <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah. So, so that yeah. was pretty crazy. Um, wow. But I mean, it, it made it real. Yeah. You know, it, it definitely made, I, I always knew my entire life that I, I needed to be a soldier. Mm-hmm. Um, but w- once September 11th happened, that, that made it real and yeah. made it personal. Yeah. And, yeah. um, but then again, you know, my reason for enlisting in the military, my, my, you know, after September 11th, my reason for being in the military, you know, I'm sure like you, everything changed over time where it became where, you know, everybody thinks we're all patriotic and I am patriotic, you know, I mean, you can't see it right now, but I got a flag hanging on the wall. I got a flag on my shirt. Right. But at the same time, it became about the team. It became yeah. about the leadership. It became about, you know, I'm responsible responsible for these guys, and I cannot let anything happen to them. Yeah. And, and so that's what kept me in the military for 16 years. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I was I was in the Marine Corps in but in the years in between the two Iraq wars, uh, and I just know that in those years you trained extremely hard, but you always kind of had in the back of your mind, this feeling of, man, we're, we're not going to ever get to do anything. And I'm sure that prior to nine 11 through the recruiting process and probably the MEPS process, as we talked about and all those processes, there was probably kind of this, um, I don't know, this lackadaisical spirit of just, well, just let things happen. But I'm sure once nine 11 happened, there was this, sense of urgency that went through the roof with almost every process and that you go through, uh, in, you know, getting into boot camp and so forth. Right. Yeah. So like, you know, I'm sure everybody, all your listeners have seen the, like the videos of Marines getting off the bus and getting mm-hmm. screamed at standing on the famous yellow footsteps. Um, it's kind of similar to that in the army. It's, I, I would say it's not near as, as intense as it is in the Marines, but MEPS actually, I think was worse than basic training when we got there initially, (laughs) like, because they didn't have time, like they had to get, because everybody got bumped up. Um, every single, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Every single company was maxed out to their drill sergeant, uh, recruit capacity. Um, because, you know, we were officially at war. And like I said, uh, you know, I, I would assume you know, there's a lot of uh, shenanigan type things that happen, you know, when you're in the hotel the night before you ship off. 
mm -hmm. to basic or boot or whatever. Um, but for us, it wasn't, it wasn't really any of that at all. It was more kind of somber, like, yeah. dude, we're going to war, man. Like yeah. what's going on? <laughs> yeah, no, that's not, I'm, I'm sure that's the case. And I'm sure, I'm sure you're, uh, well, let's see, you're in the army. So you had drill sergeants, is that right? Yeah, yeah, we have drill drill instructors. You guys have drill sergeants. I, I'm sure that they, um, they had a, a an extra sense of urgency through boot camp and training you guys. Uh, but I'm sure that they also took the opportunity to remind you that hey, this just happened, and uh, and you're you're officially, if you will, getting ready for war. I'm sure that was a constant <laughs> reminder on uh, from them, right? Dude, this isn't even a lie, man. My first day <laughs> in reception. I had this drill sergeant walk up to me and I cannot remember his name, but I can remember his face. Mm -hmm. He was about six, four, I would say about two sixty-five. pretty built, not really nice. fat, but, but heavy. Like yeah. I can remember the way this dude looked. I could draw him. If I could draw, <laughs> I could draw like a portrait of this guy. He walks right up to me and you know how, how drill sergeants or drill instructors are like they're intimidating as hell. So this drill sergeant walks up to me and puts his brown round right on the tip of my forehead. And he, <laughs> and he just stares at, he stares at me in my eyes. And then after like 10, 10 extremely awkward seconds goes, <laughs> you're going to die. And then turns around and walks away. Uh. <laughs> and I'm like, you know, I'm day one boot, man. I'm like, oh, crap, you I'm going to die. <laughs> You know, I, I'm pretty sure I heard words similar to those. Uh, but uh, when he walked away, I didn't know if he meant, uh, you know, I was going to war and I was going to die there or he was going to kill me. I wasn't sure which one he was really talking about. Right. Um, it was terrifying, man. <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure. Well, look, our, our audience certainly now knows that we're probably going to nerd out here on military experience and examples and in the, the leadership lessons that we heard or that we learned there, but maybe probably one of the first things we should do is kind of demystify, if you will, military leadership, because we're talking primarily to the corporate world today. Uh, you and I both in, in, in the leadership development we're doing, we're talking to the corporate world for the most part. And there's this misconception that, if we bring someone from the military in to teach leadership, then he's going to be barking orders and he's going to be screaming and yelling at us and probably shouting profanities and, and, you know, command and control. Uh, but is that really what leadership's all about that you learned in, in the army? No, negative. Um, I, I can do those things if you really want me to. Sure. Uh, I'm proficient, but I mean, no, you know, like we were talking about before we started recording, um, the most I ever got yelled at was during basic training. And of yes. course, you know, there are the, the few times you act like a knucklehead and, you know, you get the good old, you know, father scolding. <laughs> when you deserve it. But right? yeah, definitely when you deserve it. <laughs> got some stories about that. <laughs> but, <laughs> but I mean, no, it, it's once I got, especially once I got a deployment under my belt mm -hmm. and um, I wasn't green anymore, man, I never got yelled at hardly. Right, and like, right. like you said, unless I absolutely deserved it. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah. it's definitely the, the military environment is definitely a little more harsh, a little bit of less ask and a lot more tell. Mm -hmm. 
-hmm. But, you know, if you bring me into a corporate setting, there isn't the, you know, I have the mannerisms of a, of a, a gentleman, if you will. I'm not, right. I'm not a barbarian. Right. <laughs> right. Yep. Yeah, no, I totally agree with that. And, and, um, to your point, thankfully your entire list enlistment isn't, uh, well, I should say it this way, boot camp, the 13 hours was 13 weeks, the 13 weeks of boot camp is not indicative of the entire enlistment, right? So yes, you're not going to be barked at and yelled at and all that through throughout your entire enlistment. Thankfully, that's the case. Um, well, as you get into leadership into in the army and, and you spoke of uh, getting into ranger school and you're right. I mean, being from the Marine Corps, I don't know a lot about uh, ranger school, um, but I do, I did know that the, the concept that it's really about being a leadership school or a leadership course more than it is building a unit or something like that. It's really meant to teach uh, everyone leadership. So I'd like to get your perspective or, or maybe some of the things that you learned or how they taught you leadership in, in Ranger school. Um, Ranger school is simply for the most part, trial and error. Um, they, they definitely give you the examples. They, they, they give you the lesson, mm -hmm. but for the most part, the, you know, as a lot of things in the military are, it's you learn by blunt force trauma, mm. you know, it gets beaten to your head. Yeah. Um, and that, that's pretty much the way it is. It, it's long hours, no sleep, no food. And you're put in extremely stressful situations that you are not prepared to navigate. And you have to try to lead your team through it. You have to yeah. try to work together as a team. You know, if you're the leader of the, of the team at that particular time or not, you know, it's your responsibility to do what you have to do to help the team. And where a lot of people fail, especially in the, the corporate world, is they think they need a title to lead. Mm -hmm. And that's one thing Ranger School really hammered, at least for me, it really hammered at home, is it doesn't matter if you're a private, it doesn't matter if you're a sergeant major or, you know, the general of, you know, the army. Mm -hmm. you're a leader at, at yeah. some point you need to be a leader it's doing what you need to do when you need to do it it's it's holding everyone around you to standard it's meeting mm -hmm. deadlines you know that's all the things required of a leader so i mean people i really feel like people get off on this this tangent that, that they need a title to be a leader yeah when yeah. when you don't and that that was the biggest takeaway for me from ranger school yeah. Yeah. You know, I think everyone, whether they have leadership experience or not, they, they understand the rank structure, right? I mean, they, not, they probably can't name all the ranks, but they understand that there is a rank structure and they understand that if one person outranks another, uh, then you follow that person's orders and so forth. But I, I at least I've heard this rumor. And so I want to ask you if it's true, but, uh, Going into ranger school, different ranks are brought into uh, ranger school, um, and it's my understanding that uh, the the cadre that's that's uh, training you, that's, that's teaching you, they don't actually refer to you by your rank, which is which is for the most part very very standard across the uh, the military. You, you know, it's your it's your rank plus your last name. That's how everybody mm -hmm. refers to you, um, but. While you're in ranger school, it's my understanding that they call everyone ranger rather than calling them by their rank. And, and I, 
I think, I think I get the philosophy that that is for the most part to try to do what you're talking about, puts everyone on a level playing field. Uh, and then over the course of time, everyone is going to serve in the role of a leader, no matter what their rank is. Is that, is all that rumor that I, that I've heard, is that true? Yeah. I mean, that, that pretty much hits the nail on the head. Um, and, and the, the whole idea behind it, like you said, is everyone's equal. Mm-hmm. Um, you still have to obey customs and courtesies, you know, you can't sure. just, you know, if you got a staff sergeant and you're a, a specialist, you can't just go cuss them out. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, but, but a good leader shouldn't be doing that anyway. It shouldn't matter if it's because he outranks you or not. You treat That's everybody right. with dignity and respect. That's and right. so, um, it, it can be a really, really sticky situation because, you know, being a specialist in a school where you're trying to lead a staff sergeant who, for those who don't know, that's three pay, or I'm sorry, uh, two pay grades higher than what you are. So you're trying to lead someone with a lot more experience, a lot more knowledge. And, you know, they've been around the block a time or two. And you, you're a specialist. That means you've been in the military for less than four years uh-huh. and you're trying to lead them. You know, that, that's going to be hard. That's a sticky situation. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, it, it's, it's an experience, man, but yeah. it's life changing for sure. Yeah, no, no doubt. You, you know, I, um, I remember in my own corporate career and, and maybe some of the listeners remember this, I can remember a, a time where, um, I was, I was on a software development team and I had a leader that was a very senior leader. He had been in software development and in, in particular in this company, um, in software development for dozens of years, I mean, maybe pushing 20 years, probably just a brilliant guy. Um, but I got moved out of that team and over to another team to serve as a leader, uh, in this other smaller team and then promoted from there into the larger team to the point that now much younger, but now I was his boss. At one time he was my boss, but now I'm his boss and he's got all of these years of experience uh, under his belt and so forth. Um, And I just remember being very, very intimidated by that. Now I have to say he handled it incredibly well. Um, It didn't seem to kind of phase him at at all. Um, He was okay with it. Um, but I did, I do remember very similar situation to what you're, you're describing, uh, even happening in the corporate world. So it does happen there as well. Um, well, let me ask you about, uh, something that I know to be true in the Marine Corps, especially in, in Marine Corps officer candidate school. And I wanted to see if it kind of plays out the same, especially in Ranger school. Uh, when you are in officer candidate school in the Marine Corps, then, very similar to what you're, you're just saying. I mean, everybody's on level playing field there. There basically isn't a rank and, and, and throughout the course, you're in these small teams, but everyone is going to serve the role of the leader of those small teams at some point in time throughout the course, throughout the school. Right. Um, and all of these are kind of missions that are set up. So you have this, this make-believe mission that your team has to go out and accomplish. And you happen to be the leader this time on this mission. And you have these trainers that are observing you as you try lead your team in accomplishing this mission. And you don't necessarily know this as you're doing it, 
But uh, I know this now after the fact, as you're doing that mission and your trainers are grading you, they're not even training or grading you on whether or not you do a good job in the mission or whether or not you even accomplish the mission. What they're grading you on is how you, as the leader, lead your team in trying to accomplish the mission. On their grade sheet, there is not even a score for did you or did you not accomplish the mission. All of the criteria is related to how you led that team in trying to accomplish the mission. Is it similar there in Ranger School as well? Um, as far as I know, um, I've never been cadre, but as far as I know, yes, because I know guys that didn't even come close to completing their missions, but they, they still, you know, they still passed, they still pulled through mm -hmm. and, you know, you can only assume it's because they didn't, you know, they, they met all their marks and as far as leadership goes. Um, one of the big things where they try to get you is, you know, lots of accountability. Mm -hmm. um, because they have you out, like I said, no sleep, no food, it, you know, it's pouring rain and it's three o'clock in the morning and they try to you steal a weapon or steal some nods or some night vision, uh, mm -hmm. devices or try to tr steal a person, you know, yes. to make you lose accountability yeah. or try to get you lost and see how you, you respond and how you react. Um, a, a lot for a lot of people when they get put in these stressful situations, they tend to shut down yeah. and they don't want they don't want to listen. Um, they get so focused on they have to fix the problem that they, they just can't listen. And I actually just recorded a video series yesterday talking about just that. You know, one of the biggest responsibilities for a leader is to listen to the people in your team. Yeah. Um, it, does, it does a million things for your team, but most importantly, you know, as a leader, you can get tunnel vision very easily. You get, you have your mission, you have your goal, and your eyes are set and fixed on that mission and that goal. And, and your team can help keep your vision broad so you don't, you know, get locked in and then miss the big thing. Yeah. So, you know, that that is a big thing in, in school as well as, you know, it, it, when these, you know, if they you get lost, are you going to shut down or are you going to let your team help you get yeah. to where you need to be. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's so important. I know you, you mentioned it earlier and, and, and I want to kind of highlight it in, in somewhat related to the corporate world, but you, you mentioned the conditions, right. That you're training under with, with extreme hours of, of no rest, no sleep, probably hunger. Um, yeah. Weather you can never control. And so um, it's probably miserable. It's cold, it's wet. Um, the mission that you're trying to lead your team through is probably very, very difficult and complex physically and mentally as well. Probably a long mission takes maybe days to accomplish. It. And throughout all of that, the whole purpose of putting you in such a, an extreme physical, mental, and emotional state uh, is because I, I feel like um, that's where your true character starts to show itself, right? Yeah. I, I don't know if you agree with this, but I feel like this. Almost anyone can be a decent leader in the best of times, right? Yeah. But you take the worst of times and you put someone in those miserable situations, because here's the reality too. It isn't just the leader that's miserable. It isn't just the leader that's tired and hungry and wet 
and cold and all everyone is right. And mm-hmm. so not only are you trying to fight through your own issues, but then you're also trying to lead team members that are feeling the exact same way. Right. Yeah. Not, not only that, they're feeling the stress as well. I mean, yeah. the stress may be heavier on you because you're the leader, but that stress trickles downhill and you can never forget that it, when you're stressed, your team is going to feel that stress. Yeah. So, I mean, you, the, and that's a hard thing to manage as well. Like how much of that stress do you let trickle down to them? Do you try to block it all? But I mean, to me, stress is a good motivator. You know, mm-hmm. that's how I've always led uh, in the military and in my civilian yeah. life is I, I let stress motivate us because pressure builds diamonds. Yeah. So yeah. Um, the, the, the biggest thing is, you know, I'm, I'm your leader. And so I'm letting you feel all this stress that I'm under and now you're feeling it. So you're under that stress as well, but I'm staying cool. I'm staying calm and I'm staying collected. So that's going to kind of alleviate the worry that typically comes with stress. You feel the stress, but you're not worried about it because we're all cool, calm, collected, and we're motivated. So we're going to win. Yeah. You know, when you said that you reminded me of a, of a saying that we had in the Marines and maybe you have it in, in the army as well. It may be across the military branches, a a very common phrase, but we had this phrase in the Marine Corps that embrace the suck. Uh, (laughs) And and basically what we were saying when we would say that is so like you're, you're painting the picture of this scenario where the whole team, we're all stressed out. We're all tired. We're all angry. We're not, we don't feel like we're accomplishing the mission very well. We're miserable all of those things. Um, and it's in, and it's w- in one of those points where the leader would oftentimes say, all right, guys, we just got to embrace the suck here. Right. And yeah. basically what we were saying was, Hey, listen, it, it's just kind of like this verbal out loud acknowledgement. I know this sucks, but then there's this, you know, you kind of follow that up with the reality is it's going to continue to suck unless we get our act together and we push through this and, you know, we, we accomplish the mission. Right. And so it's just kind of that, that acknowledgement of, yes, this sucks, but let's pull ourselves together. Let's think of the better ideas. Let's think of the best solutions and let's power through this. So to to your point, it's that pressure or that stress that actually motivates you when you can, when you can do that as a leader. Did, Did you guys ever say that in the army embrace the suck? Yeah, embrace the suck. And then my personal favorite is uh, if it ain't raining, it, we ain't training. Oh, yes. We've used that before. Yes, too. Yes. I agree. It never totally fails. Agree. You yes. can be in the middle of the worst drought in history. The minute yes. you step foot on that training field, downpour. Of course. <laughs> yes. Yes. No, I totally agree with that. I totally agree. And But again, I mean, just a, just a really, really important concept related to, to leadership. And, and again, that's why military leadership training that's why they put you in such extreme conditions is because that's where your true character your true qualities and traits are certainly going to be demonstrated um, in your ability to lead the team Um, well let's kind of let's kind of transition now out of ranger school and get into your role in leading other nations Um, and i'm really interested in this because uh, while I didn't have any experience directly in uh, training or teaching leadership to other nations, we oftentimes did get partnered up and paired up with other 
European nations and, and armies uh, from European nations for the purpose of allowing them to train with us so that they could kind of experience that. But I'm really interested in your role in teaching them leadership. So tell us a little bit more about that. Yeah, so um, I ended up getting sent over to live in Germany. Um, I was there for five years. And, and basically, I, I traveled around uh, most of Europe, man, just training uh, the the foreign countries' uh, military. And it wasn't like training their entire military. So mm-hmm. let me let me say like this. Um, for, for the listeners, the, the United States military is completely different than any other military I've ever encountered in the world. And that the rank structure is broken down into two parts. You have your commissioned officers who are your captains, your majors, your generals. Those those guys pretty much are solely responsible. They are responsible for commanding, but their their biggest thing is planning. They plan, they mm-hmm. they control logistics, and they do all that. And then they issue the orders to the non-commissioned officers, which are your sergeants, your staff sergeants, sergeant majors, so on and so forth. And their responsibility is to train and equip the soldiers to carry out the officer's mission. So because we have a divided power system like that, our military is, I, I think it's safe to say that our military is the single most efficient military in the world when it comes to its leadership structure. Um, and, and other countries during the wars would see how we operate and like, man, like that lieutenant doesn't have to worry about all these things happening in his platoon. Well, why is that? Well, because we have NCOs that take care of that, non-commissioned officers. So they started asking questions, wanting to, you know, find out more. And so ultimately what we did is the wars were starting to wind down is send teams over to just work with these NATO allies and be like, hey, this is how we do it. And, you know, you can watch us. We'll train you guys a little bit and then you can incorporate it however you want. Um, and so I got to do that for, like I said, five years, and it was the single most amazing job I've ever had. Yeah. And that's what really got me just crazy passionate about leadership. Yeah, you know, I couldn't agree with you more. Now, I, I know that I'm probably an extremely biased opinion here, but I believe that when it comes to military leadership, there is no stronger leadership than that NCO level, uh, non-commissioned officer level of leadership, or maybe, well, in the Marine Corps, we also had a staff NCO, um, staff non-commissioned officer level of leadership. But I think that is where the strongest leadership happens, uh, especially in the in the Marine Corps, but I'm sure across the military in general, uh, is in that uh, non-commissioned officer ranks. Um, and essentially what you, and I, I couldn't agree more that I, I experienced the exact same thing in other militaries where they had a very centralized command uh, approach to leadership. So, so to your point, it was, it was the commissioned officers. They carried all of the leadership responsibilities on their shoulders. In addition to all of those planning and logistics and strategic responsibilities that you talked about as well. And and I agree with you that I believe that's where the strength of the U.S. military is, that we we follow more of a decentralized command structure where you have the co- commissioned officers doing planning and logistics and, and strategy, and then you have 
leadership of executing that plan uh, in the non-commissioned officer ranks. And so you, you have that decentralized command. I think that you're, you're right on the money there. That's the strength and the power of the U S military over a lot of others, I believe. Yeah. And I mean, you're right. Absolutely. It's, I think it's pretty much that way in all branches of uh, the United States military. Um, in yeah. the army, we call the non-commissioned officers, the backbone of the army, because mm-hmm. without, without the backbone, the head isn't supported. And without the backbone, the arms and legs don't move. So, um, and and then I think another big place where we really excel that really sets us above as far as leadership goes is every officer, commissioned officer, is going to have, at least in the Army, I'm pretty sure it's the same in the Marine Corps, but every commissioned officer has a counterpart non-commissioned officer with much, much more experience. So, as you know, in the army, the platoon level, you're going to have a platoon leader who's a second or first lieutenant. That means they've been in the army less than two years. They are going yep. to be paired with a staff, or I'm sorry, a sergeant first class, who is the platoon sergeant, and he's going to have minimum 12 years, you know, mm-hmm. probably four or five deployments, plenty yes. of combat time, if it's a combat yes. MOS. So, I mean, like, and, and the sole purpose of that non-commissioned officer is to guide and mentor that that commissioned officer through his experience. Ultimately, it's the lieutenant's job to command that platoon, but a smart lieutenant isn't going to make a, a decision without consulting with his non-commissioned officer first. And, Absolutely. And, and my experience, and Stephen Faust and I were actually talking about this the other day, I'm lucky. I never had a single that I can think of a single bad experience with leadership in the military. Um, I, I had some that were better than others, but I, I, for the most part, I think I always had great leaders, especially when it came to lieutenants. You know, yeah. the lieutenants were always eager to not just talk to the the platoon sergeant, but all NCOs, anyone that had deployment time. Like, hey, this is my strategy. What do you think of this? And then we give him our feedback, and then he goes you know, after learning all he could to make his decisions. And I think that's really, I think that's the biggest thing that sets our military apart is is allowing the officers to learn from the guys with all the experience. Yeah. You know, I I completely agree with that. And I had the exact same experience in, in uh, the Marine Corps, uh, as you said that, you know, technically in in by rank structure, the Lieutenant um, outranks everyone in his platoon. But the reality is, in terms of, you know, years of experience and probably like deployed experience and all that true real world experience, he probably has less Marine Corps experience than probably 80% of his platoon. Um, Because a platoon in the Marine Corps is four squads, usually about 16 people per squad. So you got about 64 or 65 Marines uh, in this platoon. And that lieutenant who is outranks everyone in that platoon has less experience probably than about 80% of that entire platoon. Definitely has less experience than the, the staff sergeant responsible for the platoon. All the squad leaders, which are all four squad leaders, which are usually sergeants, they've usually been in six or eight years at this point. Then you've got fire team leaders that are typically corporals. They've been in four to five years at this point. 
And then you've got your Lance Corporals and PFCs that probably have been on one, maybe two deployments. So they've got, you know, three years under their belt. And then you've got this, this two year Lieutenant that <laughs> is in charge of all of that. Right. And you're exactly right. The worst thing that Lieutenant can, can, can do is come in with his rank and his college degree and his, you know, officer candidate school experience and pretend that he knows better than all of those people. Um, I mean, the best lieutenant is going to be willing to listen to not just his NCOs, but even that Lance Corporal that's been on deployment once and he hasn't even been on deployment. The best lieutenants are going to be those that are willing to listen to everyone in their platoon. Yeah, absolutely right. And, and I mean, and that, you know, when you go to the corporate world, it can be the same thing. Absolutely. You know, it, it's, it's not like you were talking about. You ended up getting promoted over that guy that had been with the company 20 freaking years. You would have been an idiot to, to not like, all right, well, I outrank this guy now. So right. he is my new best friend. I don't yes. go anywhere without him. He is by my side 24-7 to help me learn and make decisions because that's what a, being a leader, to me, Absolutely. that's the true definition of a leader, someone that continues to, to learn. They never stop learning. They're yeah. always trying to be better. They're always trying to better themselves. And how, how do we do that? We surround ourselves with people that are smarter than us. You know, for yeah. me, I, uh, Stephen Faust, huge. That dude is brilliant. You know, yeah. I, I'm so thankful I get to have him as a mentor because, man, uh, I can, that, the way he thinks is 900 yeah. miles an hour, man. <laughs> <laughs> totally agree. Totally agree. Totally agree. Um, we got to be careful here. We're, we'll give Stephen the big head here if we're not careful. Oh, um, right, right. So, <laughs> um, well, tell me how. So you're you're responsible now for for teaching this to some of these other uh, NATO aligned military units. Um, how well did they receive this idea of, I'm calling it decentralized command is a general concept, but how well were they receiving this idea of some within your enlisted ranks, they can be leaders also? Um, depends on two things. It depends on the country mm. and it depends on the rank of the mm. person we're talking to. Yeah. Um, typically the older uh, the older officers, they, they didn't like it so much. Even some yeah. of the older NCOs, because, I mean, they still, other militaries still have NCOs. They just have no authority and no power. Right. Um, so, I mean, it, it, even some of the older, more senior NCOs in some of those militaries, they, they didn't like it either because they didn't want the responsibility. But, you know, like you said, it, you know, le leadership's about uh, – you know, finding that true character. And if you're going to step away from a position just because, oh, that's too much responsibility. Well, maybe you shouldn't be there. Maybe yeah. we should bump you back down to a private. Um, a lot of people didn't like it when I said that. But, you know, it's, a, it's about, you know, like you said, decentralizing the power so that we can get, how do you say, getting equal pressure put on the entire team, not just on one person. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, yeah. but for the most part, uh, I would say it was very receptive, especially in Poland. The Polish loved it. The Polish have an yeah. awesome military. Uh, I yeah, loved yeah. working with the Polish. 
You know, it's funny you say that because I've actually worked with I worked with them for a little bit as well, and and I tend to agree. I, I agree with that completely. Um, well, you know, and I think this happens in the corporate world as well. But you talked about, you know, in your training, you've got some of these that they're already have reached the rank of some of a non commissioned officer in their military, but they haven't been given any kind of real empowerment or or responsibilities um to to lead and now here you come along and you're talking about how they should be leaders they should have these responsibilities and, and so forth and i have to imagine some of them are feeling like and I, and I think some people in the corporate world feel this way today well i'm not so I, i'm not as excited to accept those leadership responsibilities if you're not going to also train me in being a good leader. Did you, do you feel like you experienced that from those that might have been resisting the acceptance of those leadership responsibilities? You know, I actually never thought of it that way. I always kind of looked at it as they were kind of, kind of trying to uh, sidestep the responsibility, if you will. Yep. And I never yep. actually thought about the fact that they, they weren't trained for it. Um, that, that's a good point. And yeah, you're probably, I would say that's probably a very good observation because in the United States military from day one and basic training boot camp, whatever you go to, you're taught that yep. you're a leader in some sort of capacity. So le yeah. leadership training starts day one for us and yeah. not so much for them. Yeah. That's a good, good observation. Yeah. You know, I think I see it in the corporate world a lot where the, the example I always use just because it's the easiest one for everyone to, um, to understand is the is the rock star salesperson that gets promoted to sales manager um and they're a rock star at sales they can hit all their numbers they can exceed all of the numbers every single month but then when they become a manager and they they're they're quote given those responsibilities um of being a leader well then they start feeling like well i don't know how to do this yeah. you've got to, you've got to teach me. You've got to show me, you showed me how to sell stuff. Now show me how to lead salespeople. And, and I think, uh, in the corporate world, sometimes that's why people start to shy away or back away from those leadership responsibilities because they don't feel supported. They don't feel like they've uh, been trained and taught in those skill sets because it's a totally different skill set selling a widget versus leading people that are selling widgets. That's a totally different skill set. Would you agree? Yeah, absolutely. But I think it's because we've put a kind of a false narrative around leadership. Yeah. I, think, I think more people would be inclined to be a leader if they realize the number one rule of leadership is personal relationships. That's right. If you, if you build good, solid, sound personal relationships with your team, you're not going to fail. You, right. you know, you would have to really try to fail. If you hmm. build a good team around you, you're going to be golden, no matter whether you're an introvert or an extrovert. You know, I, I'm extremely extroverted. Like, I love to talk. I love to be energetic and in a group of people and having fun. My hmm. wife, that makes her cry almost literally, <laughs> you know. but I can, I can relate to your wife. She and I would my, get along well. My, my wife is a great leader. You know, she's because she takes time to really get to know people. I, mm -hmm. I would say she's probably a better leader than me uh, in my experience with her in the corporate world. 
you know, yeah. she, cause she really puts in that time to build personal relationships with her people. And, you know, I think if people understood that more better, they wouldn't be so scared to, to take that plunge, but you're absolutely right. We, we send people out of college. They have a college degree into the corporate world. They know how to do their job and they are really good at their job. And then it's like, okay, well, you're really good at your job. So you're promoted, but we don't take the time to train them on how to, yeah. how to, how to be build those personal relationships, how to build that team, you know? Yeah. So we set them up for failure. Yeah, no, I couldn't agree with you more. I mean, I say it very simply all the time. Leadership is about relationship. Um, and I agree with you that too, that, you know, there's this false narrative or there's these, these misconceptions that we have as leader about leadership. And it, you know, we, we think, well, if I'm the leader, then I have to have all the right answers and I have to know everything and I have to be the best at, at doing all of these things that my team does. And, and none of that's true. Um, to be an effective leader, as you said, you've just got to be capable of building good relationships with those team members. Um, so I, I, I love that. I so appreciate you saying that. Um, well, tell us, I, I know we have just a few minutes left here. So tell us a little bit about what you're doing today, right? So I know you, you've gotten out of the army now, and I know you already talked about how you are very, very passionate about leadership and teaching leadership. So share with us a little bit about what you're doing today in the, in the world of teaching people leadership. Yeah. So, um, we'll do, if it's okay, we'll, we'll jump back a little bit to right when I got sure. out. Um, you know, being in the, in the army, I'm sure you can relate to this. You're around people all the time that are alpha. They're, they're motivated. They're driven. They have a sense of purpose they, they don't doubt themselves, you know, and even even the introverts, you know, you said you relate to my wife. That means you're an introvert. You still excel because that's what's forced out of us. That's what we're trained to be like. Right. So I went from this atmosphere of, you know, just extremely driven, motivated people to the civilian world of nine to five. Yeah, like, right. can I go home yet? Do, do you know how many yeah. times I asked my boss in the army if I could go home? <laughs> Never. Well, I know what the answer was if you did. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, like I went from that to, to, you know, can I go home? I don't feel good. Like I have a headache, like mm -hmm. just all the whining and just everything that went with it. And man, it made me depressed. Like I got yeah. crazy depressed and I, I kind of just gave up for a while of just like, my life is over, you know, I, I can't serve my country anymore. So, you know, the military is gone. So I'm just, I'm just like everyone else now. I, I'm just, it's over. And so, man, it took a couple of years to dig myself out of that hole, but I finally did. And when I did, I realized like the, the army gave me this gift of teaching leadership. And while the army needs good leadership training in it, it has plenty of people to pick up that slack. The, the corporate world, the civilian world, not so much. That's so right. I got crazy passionate about it. I, I started get reading every single book I could find on leadership, you know, in the corporate world, trying to learn the corporate world. And so now I've uh, started my, my own uh, consulting firm called Renowned Leadership, where, you know, 
pretty much all, all we do is just what we've done here. We, we sit down with our clients and it's like, okay, you just got promoted. Congratulations. Here is your next step. And we, we start walking them through coaching and mentoring, uh, just like I had in the Army. You know, I bring, you know, my, my mission is to bring what I experienced in the Army, how I learned how to lead to the civilian world and, and help civilian leaders achieve that greatness. I think it was you that told me that uh, people ask you all the time how to get a team that that would die for them, yeah. like, like we have in yeah. the Army or in the Marines. Yep. And that it, it's completely possible. You just have right. to build the team in the right way. And I want everyone to experience that com- camaraderie because there there's nothing in the world like when you know when you go to work knowing no matter what that day your team has your back. You can't right. have a bad day. I mean, yeah, yeah, everything might go sideways, but at least at the end of the day, your team's got your back. I'm sorry, I'm ranting. <laughs> no, no, you're not at all. I mean, that's awesome. And 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 passion field, and and I couldn't agree with you more that. Um, too many people in the corporate world, they go to work and work with a team where that level of camaraderie is just a foreign concept. They don't even comprehend the level of camaraderie where they're, they're going into work with a team where they know no matter what the situation that they face today, they're going to do that as a team, right? Uh, they, they, they go in. Too many of people go in today feeling like, well, my team members are just going to cover their ass and they're going to make excuses and they may blame me or they may blame others. Too many people are going into work and into teams with that kind of feeling and that kind of attitude. So anything you can do, anything we can, I can do, we can do together to, um, to bring that level of leadership and that level of teamwork to the corporate world. I am all in, I'm all in favor of it. Um, so then with renowned leadership, tell our listeners then where can they find that? Where can they find you? How could they better connect with you and so forth? Cause I'm certain some of these listeners want to hear more about your leadership teachings. Yeah. If they want to look me up, they can find me on my website. It's renowned R E N O W N E D leadership.com. Um, you know, they can pop in on my website. You can even shoot me an email to my to my email. It's SJ Morris, S-J-M-O-R-R-I-S, at renownedleadership.com. Um, shoot me an email. And, I, man, I, I'm passionate about leadership. If you, if you just have a simple question, hit me up. Uh, I'll yes. be happy to answer your questions. Like, oh. <laughs> it's important. Awesome. Awesome. Well, Stephen, listen, I will put links to your website and your email address and all that. I'll, I'll put links to that in the show notes for this episode of the podcast. So the listeners can find it there as well. Cause I, again, I, I'm, I'm sure that some of our listeners are going to want to reach out to you. And as we depart, let me just say this, Stephen, thank you so much uh, for your service and thank you for sharing your time and some of your wisdom with us here on the rookie leaders podcast. I know that we are all better leaders having spent some time with you. So thanks so much for your time. I appreciate it, man. Thank you so much for having me. Well, there you have it. My conversation with Stephen Morris, man, I really enjoyed that conversation. As you could tell, he and I could really nerd out on the military experience and our um, lessons learned 
uh, on leadership in the military. That was such a great conversation I had with him. Let me give you just a couple of, uh, or a few of the key takeaways that I took away from the conversation that I had with him. He talked about in Ranger School how uh, one of the lessons that was taught in all of the missions that they were uh, that they were on was this focus on maintaining accountability. He talked about how you know, they put you in these extreme conditions where you're very fatigued and, and miserable and so forth. And, and that's when you're going to kind of lower your guard and you're going to lose some accountability. It may be accountability of your equipment or your people or your mission um, and how important it is to stay focused on maintaining that accountability. And then I also took the note, he, he actually mentioned this twice, once when we were, he was talking about ranger school, but then also he mentioned it again about how he was uh, teaching other armies around the world. And he, he made the emphasis on leaders must listen to those on the team, the team members. Leaders must listen to their team members. We talked about how we in the military, you have those commissioned officers as well as you have the enlisted, the non-commissioned officers, and how even though the commissioned officers outrank the enlisted, it's super important that those leaders, those commissioned officers are willing to listen to the experience and the knowledge of those enlisted team members on their team. And in the corporate world, that is super important as well. Yes, in the org chart, you outrank them, but it's so important as a leader that you listen to your team members. And then he talked about uh, one of the major teachings uh, as he taught other armies around the world was this idea of decentralized command and that, that whole, yes, you have commissioned officers, but then you also have the non-commissioned officer ranks that uh, are responsible for execution and so forth. And that is super critical in the corporate world as well, this idea of decentralized command. Every single decision cannot come through you. You've got to train up other leaders as well. I think it was um, John Maxwell that said, the responsibility of a leader is to create other leaders, not to create followers. So you have to create this idea of decentralized command, give some leadership responsibilities to other team members on your team. And then lastly, I'll just say your, your call to action, you've got to connect with Stephen. Uh, be sure you check him out on his website, renownedleadership.com. Again, you'll see some uh, a link in the show notes for this particular episode. And again, you've got to listen to his podcast. I mean, the, the idea that you've got this army ranger who, who regards his dad so highly as a great leader, and now you've got the two of them bantering back and forth on the topic of leadership. You stand to learn a lot from the two of them on their podcast, so I encourage you to check that out as well. And again, you'll find links to uh, their his website as well as their podcast in the show notes for this particular episode. You can go to rookieleaders.com, and this is episode number 112. You'll find links to their website and their podcast there as well. So I hope that's helped you. I hope uh, you've got, uh, gained a lot of leadership knowledge from Stephen and his experience. Know this, until I speak to you again next time, remember that I love you because that's what leaders do, and I want you to be blessed and lead well. 
This episode of the Rookie Leaders Podcast has ended. But never fear, you can find other binge-worthy podcasts and episodes at rookieleaders.com. If you like this episode, please rate and write a review in iTunes. If you haven't already, please subscribe to the podcast. And remember to share this episode with your friends and colleagues looking for leadership lessons of their own. We appreciate your support. For more great leadership content, head over to credibleleaders.com. Odds are, if you're hearing my voice right now, you are a leader who has questions or feels like this. I was new to leadership. You're just hoping to show them the, the right path and right. hope they catch on intentional saying, hey, this is the path we're taking. As a new leader, not having people work for me, how do you go about hiring people, finding right. that right team member? How do we have everybody want to be on this team because the goal that we're going for helps them, helps the company, helps everybody. Yes, this podcast is here to help with that. I share with you everything I can to help you grow into a leader everyone loves and wants to follow. But let's face it, it will take me years to share with you my 29 plus years of leadership experience via a weekly podcast episode. So if you're really serious about improving your leadership faster to positively impact business results and the lives of those you lead, I invite you to consider the Leadership Accelerator. This is the 30-day challenge I've created to teach leaders like you the principles guaranteed to improve your leadership effectiveness in just 30 days. Leaders are watching their leadership improve with every action taken in the 30-day challenge. I would even include my confidence level, even just having simple conversations with people. I don't feel the edginess of trying to have a difficult conversation. Leaders are fast-tracking their leadership growth. I feel like I gained five years worth of experience just because I've gained five years worth of knowledge. Over the course of 30 days, you'll get deep, hands-on, and step-by-step -step coaching from me on every element of our leadership equation. It's the mathematical science behind measuring your leadership. You have a predictable, measurable way of looking at leadership, that a different way that I've seen people describe it. While the Leadership Accelerator is a self-paced online course, you will also receive multiple opportunities to ask me directly your specific leadership questions. So if you're ready to commit to improving your leadership, head over to CredibleLeaders.com forward slash accelerator right now. And if you're still on the fence, you absolutely have to do it. The word is acceleration. It'll accelerate your knowledge, your experience, your confidence. What are you waiting for? Once again, head over to CredibleLeaders.com forward slash accelerator and sign up. I can't wait to meet you in the program. And remember, I love you because that's what leaders do. And I want you to be blessed and lead well.